about this. There we go. Well, if you haven't noticed, it is Mother's Day, and if you did forget, make sure you make a call this afternoon to mom, not a text, phone call, and I'll add my voice to the chorus of praise that you've probably been hearing all morning here, Thanksgiving, toward, directed towards those who are moms in the room. It is a very much a grand calling, a high calling. Though, as we've mentioned before, and as we're going to see in some of the texts we look at even this morning, it is often a very obscure and thankless calling. And that's why it's uh, particularly fitting that we have made it a, a holiday in our country. Within a few weeks, we'll be observing another holiday, Father's Day. It's an important day as well, important for salvaging uh, what is perhaps being lost, the father figure, in public life. But I think there's a real sense in which the day, reason for that day is perhaps not as great as for this one, because men have always been perhaps the more public of the genders, and women, and among them specifically women in, in, in specific, toil behind closed doors, often doing tedious tasks, thankless tasks, and it's only fitting that their invisible labor of love be celebrated today, both visibly and lavishly. So whoever it is in your life that you can celebrate, do so uh, lavishly. Go above, go above and beyond what perhaps is necessary to thank her for the things that she rarely gets thanks for. I also recognize that Mother's Day can be a hard day for some. Some perhaps look at their experiment at motherhood as something less than a success. Others have wished dearly to be a mother, but for some reason or another, haven't been. Others, and perhaps most difficult of all, were at one time's mother and now no longer are. If you're any, in any of these categories today, you have my heartfelt sympathies. But I'd like to suggest, as hard as it may be, to do, to do this, let this day not be primarily for individuals to reflect on their own experience as mothers, but also for each one of us to turn our minds individually towards our own mothers, whether they be with us or not. This experience can be painful, I know, for some as well. Some of you have never known your mothers, perhaps, or perhaps you've lost your mothers even recently. And again, I extend my apologies to your, you folk, but then again, I don't apologize too robustly because as we are reminded in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, there is great profit for visiting the house of mourning, even more, the author of Ecclesiastes says, than the house of feasting. And so those of you who are here this morning, perhaps who are grieving in one of the many ways that I've mentioned here, may yet find benefit in this day, even if Today may not be one of those days where you're in a house of feasting. And that's because even those of us who grieve, perhaps even more those of us who grieve, are closely attuned to the urgency of, of healing, to the anticipation of both today and in the great day, a great benefit uh, that can be uh, accrued to us because we think not only of our here and now situation, but of the situation that is to come. And I hope that all of you can have profit from this day. My hope is we can all benefit from this exercise then by discovering 
and becoming good sons and daughters. I've, sometimes uh, on Mother's Day you hear a sermon directed towards moms about how to be a better mom and how to be a better woman and such. And I always determine that uh, whenever I have opportunities to preach on Mother's Day, I'm actually going the other route, okay? I want to preach to the rest of you folks, all of you who are sons and daughters, whether you're young or whether you're old, and that I think includes all of us, right? About how we can be better sons and daughters according to the expectations of the Christian scriptures. And so our question this morning is this, what does the scripture explicitly tell us that we should do if we are to honor our mothers and thus to honor God himself. Again, this is no matter our age, no matter even if our mothers have passed, how is it that we can live in this world as good and sons and daughters, whether of a mother who's in the room or whether for a mother who has passed on? Hopefully, you all have in front of you some sort of face right now. Ideally, it's your own mother. But perhaps, as Paul did in Romans 16, 13, it's someone who was like a mother to you. I always find that verse a very poignant one there in the book of Romans. You know, in the, in the, in the ends of the, of the uh, letters that Paul writes, he often extends these private greetings to individuals within the churches that he's writing to. And he says, greet Rufus and also his mother because she's been a mother to me as well. I always think of that as a poignant moment here. There's a depth of feeling here that perhaps and hopefully is reflected even today as you think about some godly woman, some godly older woman, a lady, someone perhaps who populates this very church, but perhaps someone else. There's a face in front of you right now who has been either a mother to you or like a mother to you. And that's what Paul says about the elderly in our churches, right? In 1 Timothy 5.2, treat the older women in the church as though they were your mother. In any case, I hope that you have at least one face in your mental picture, perhaps even more than one, as we think about those ladies that we don't want to let down as we make our way through life. So we want to ask again our question, what do the scriptures describe as the best way or perhaps the best ways to honor that person in your mind or her memory? This really should concern all of us this day, especially this day. And the reason for this is enshrined forever in the fifth of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your mother. Honor your father and mother, but honor your mother. It's a command that Paul actually enshrines later in the New Testament as well, in Ephesians chapter 6, as the first commandment with an attached promise, right? It's the first commandment with a promise attached to it. And what's the promise? Well, if you will honor her, it will go well with you. And you will enjoy long life on the earth. So if for no other reason than for the personal benefit that it brings to you, you should be honoring your mother because... There's a promise attached to that. But more than this, you should honor your mother for her sake or for the Lord's sake, because Ephesians 6, 1 puts it that way, right? Honor your father and mother in the Lord. In the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, you honor her as though she were God's representative on earth because she is. 
She is God's representative on earth, at least in terms of the family structure. And so this then is the first point this morning of how one may honor one's mother, treat her, respect her, defer to her as though she were God himself. Paul is fond, particularly in Ephesians and Colossians, but elsewhere as well, but especially in those two books, to uh, use the phrase in the Lord or as to the Lord. Children, we're, uh, we've seen here, are to obey their parents in the Lord. Wives are submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Workers are to work hard for their employers as to the Lord. Everyone is supposed to submit to their elders and to their human governors as to the Lord. And so the implication that's really made here is that in every case, that this is a general guideline, if followed broadly, that will produce a very civil, safe, polite society in which human flourishing can occur. So what does this look like? What does it mean to obey mom as to the Lord? Well, first of all, we need to know that each of these as to the Lord practice passages is an analogy. Uh, we have to stop short of seeing the superior party in each example as sharing identity with God. Mom isn't God. God isn't mom. She is God's representative on earth, but she's not God. There is a sense in which we can honor mom too much to the point of idolatry. I don't think very many of us ever achieve that, but it is possible that that could happen. She isn't God. There's limits on the loftiness even of our thoughts of mom. Indeed, the scriptures include several examples of individuals who graciously refused to obey their parents when the command that the parent issued was flat out wrong. Jesus, in fact, leads the pack in this, right? Twice in the New Testament scriptures, he rebuked his own mother, first in Luke chapter 2 and then in Luke chapter 8, because she was unwittingly attempting to sabotage his mission as the Messiah. Christ even cautions us in Matthew 10 that if our love for mom exceeds our love for God, we forfeit the chance to be a true disciple. If anyone loves mother and father more than they do me, then that person cannot be my disciple. But as is always the case in Scripture, these exceptions establish the rule. Mom should always receive the respect and ordinarily all of the ob obedience afforded to God himself unless some explicit biblical reason exists to do otherwise. We add, too, that such respect is to be given even when she's absent, right? Even when she's absent, to borrow a line from one of the other as-to-the-Lord passages, right? We are supposed to obey your employer, your master, as-to-the-Lord, even when his eye is not upon you, right? Because, let's face it, when the boss is around, when mom's around, we tend to toe the line a little bit better. In fact, on Mother's Day of all days, perhaps this day was, was a day as we all want to be model children, and so there was jostling each one ahead of the other to be the better child today. But such public displays are rare. And quite often, mom can't even see the respect or lack of respect that we give to her. Because what ends up happening is that we have conversations, co-workers, 
schoolmates, with siblings, with spouses, right? About mom. And that's where the respect breaks down. And that's where the struggle lies. That's the crucible in which respect is truly extended or withdrawn when mom isn't around. And God tells us, without qualification, to treat her as much like God as is humanly permitted both publicly and privately behind closed doors, not only on this day, Mother's Day, but on every day. Mom is the best and closest thing that God, to God that many of us will ever know in this life, and our treatment of her is indicative of how we treat God himself. So be afraid and be respectful. So firstly, it says here, if we are to mom God, honor mom, we are to honor her as to the Lord. Secondly, we are biblically encouraged to listen to her, or if you will indulge something of an archaic word from Old English, to hearken to mom, hearken to her. Biblically driven believers should hearken to his mother. The reason I like that word is because it folds into this, this term three ideas. One, listening to her. Two, anticipating receiving in those words some good advice. And then third, a bent towards valuing her advice and putting it into practice. The biblical texts to which we can turn in this regard are legion. The scriptures are filled with passages that speak of this. Most of them are concentrated, though, in the book of Proverbs, which gives us a great deal of practical advice for living in this world. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching, for it is a graceful garland for your head and a pendant for your neck. Proverbs 6, 20 and 21 say this, My son, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teach him, teaching. Bind them upon your heart always. Tie them around your neck. Proverbs 23, 22 says this, Listen to the father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she's old, adding a couple of verses later, so let your father and mother be glad. Let they who bore you rejoice. I've drawn your attention to these verses as a separate point, but in many ways they are a continuation of the first. How is it that one honors a mother, real or adopted, as though she were God himself? Well, we listen to her. We value her words. We give full consideration to them, and we do not hastily dismiss them. In each one of these passages, we find a contrast of verbs. Positively, we are to hear, we are to keep, we are to listen, we are to bind her words on our heart and around our neck. We value them. Negatively, we are not to forsake them. We're not to despise her when she gets old. So why do we have to have these instructions? Well, because we're prone to do the opposite, right? We're prone as young children and as adult children to be guilty here. We tend to notice those areas as mom gets older. We tend to despise her for being old. That's why there's a warning against it, because we tend this way. We tend to see her perhaps as a little bit old-fashioned a little bit under-informed about the ways of the world, perhaps not up, to the, up with the times. And we use that as an excuse to dismiss what she has to say. And that's a terrible thing to do. It's a deeply hurtful thing to do. 
But it's a foolish thing to do, ultimately. Perhaps that's a direct, bit direct to say it's stupid or foolish. But that's what Proverbs 30 says. The eye that scorns to obey his mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Rather a graphic picture there, right? Here's the deal. Mom's been around the block a few times. More than you have, and she's picked up along a lot along the way. And all things being equal, her sanctification is leaps and bounds beyond yours. Perhaps, just perhaps, what you have imagined in her to be embarrassingly naive or simple are actually expressions of grace and hope and wisdom and faith that you don't recognize yet because you haven't cultivated them yourself. Perhaps it is we and not she who are behind on the learning curve. God says, listen to her words, consider her words, value her words, implement her words. And in so doing, we find she will be glad and rejoice. Seems like a good thing to do on Mother's Day, right? To make mom glad and rejoice. So first, treat your mother so much as is finitely possible, as though she were God himself. Number two, value her as a great repository of excellent and mature advice. And now thirdly, again related to the previous and something of a succession, cultivate the disciplines of wise living in an undisciplined world. Proverbs 29.15 says this, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Many of you sitting here this morning are beyond the reach of the rod, right? Mom and dad no longer punish you if you fail to toe the line. Some of you younger folks are still at considerable risk, right? However, the principle extends to all of us alike. If we fail to develop in our youth the disciplines of courtesy and industry and tidiness and punctuality and restraint and such, if we do not continue to maintain and develop these virtues long after we launch into adulthood, we will bring shame to our mothers. Sometimes we don't give much attention to these rather common virtues in a church service. We think, well, those are the things that are relegated to the home. We want to learn here about how to live a godly life. We want to develop the disciplines of a godly life, reading the Bible, praying, going to church. But the disciplines of a civil life actually come first chronologically, right? The book of Proverbs is obsessed with wisdom in everyday life. So these matters certainly have a legitimate place in the pulpit. And then usually, not always, but usually these general disciplines precede the gracious disciplines of a godly life. Any of you who is an instrumentalist who happened to play this morning probably played Mary Had a Little Lamb before you were invited to play in the church. If you didn't cook a few times and failed with the family, with mom at your side, you probably wouldn't have brought in any tasty muffins this morning for the Sunday school snack, right? If you don't learn the disciplines of sustained reading in general, it's unlikely you will suddenly develop a desire to read the Bible. 
if you don't learn the respect and kindness in general, it's unlikely that you will magically adopt the one another ministry mindset that is requisite of every believer in the church. If you don't learn to clean your room or do yard work at home, it's not likely that you're going to show up next Saturday for the all church work day and be of any use, right? And so forth. And lest we lose the focus of the day, our verse reminds us the child left to himself brings his mother shame. The verse reminds us that if we fail to develop the basic disciplines of life, mom will be embarrassed too. It's right there in the Bible. You probably knew that already, right? But it's right there in the Bible. So if you want mom's heart to swell with pride and joy on this Mother's Day and many to come, work on all the little disciplines, those things which you tend to think of her as nagging you. <laughs> Cultivate those things because she's preparing you for adulthood and for the life of Christian service. But I would be quite remiss to stop with these three ways with which we might honor mom and honor God. They're very biblical, of course. Because biblical as this list may be, though, it's incomplete. Because the scriptures tell us in Matthew 23 about a group of people that are called the Pharisees, who did a pretty good job up till this point in the sermon. They were leaders in Jewish society. They were highly regarded in the religious community. They were experts in their field. They were fastidious in their regard of the law. They're very obedient. They were very rigidly adherent to the fifth commandment that looms so large this morning to honor your father and mother. I'm sure their mothers were quite pleased with their success. Jesus, in fact, is complimentary of their strengths. He tells the people to do what they do because they do the things they ought to do, but they don't do them for the right reason. And in the midst of these compliments of the Pharisees, there is also a barrage of criticisms, insults, really, about the overall character of the Pharisees. Jesus identifies them as fools. Highbrow fools, I suppose, but fools. And if anything can bring grief to a mother, it's having a fool for a child. Proverbs 15:20 puts it this way: A wise son makes a glad father, but a fool despises his mother. So my fourth and final point this morning is this. The very most important way you can honor mom and ultimately honor God is this. Don't be a fool. Of course, in order for us to go forward to this, we have to define what it is to be a fool. Well, it's important that we understand that the scripture writers did not mean what is commonly thought of this term in the common, you know, modern vernacular. We tend to think of a fool as someone who's naive, perhaps to the point of obstinacy, but generally we're, it's a fairly innocuous term. He's just a, a naive, bumbling person. And certainly such a person can be a, sh a shameful thing to his mother, but the biblical idea of fool is not that. The biblical idea here of a fool is this, someone who does not make God the starting point of everything that he thinks, everything that he says, and everything that he does. 
in the words of Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, no God for me. No God for me. That's what a fool, that's, that's the definition of what a fool is. Someone who does not make God the starting point for, for everything that he thinks, everything that he says, and everything that he does. He says, I simply haven't the time or even the stomach for this buffet of God stuff and Bible stuff. I'll live my life my own way. I'll respect my parents, sure. That's why I'm here today, after all, right? But this Christian religion stuff, there's only so much I can take. It's just not my thing. As gently as I can, let me suggest that a close reading of the scriptures reveals that this is a foolish thing to think. It's a foolish thing to do. It's not my assessment either. It's God's. So why does God offer this harsh opinion? Well, most immediately, perhaps we can say this morning, is because it hurts mom, but I think that's just the tip of the iceberg here. I know, of course, that some moms don't care so much as others about the relationship that their children have with God. I understand that. But that doesn't change the fact that not making God the starting point of your thinking does end up hurting your mom, even though she doesn't realize it. I use this verb deliberately here, hurting mom, because the concern is more than just mere disappointment. You may disappoint mom when you don't take time for God, but the last verb here says more. It implies here contempt in a very most hurtful variety. A fool despises his mother. But honestly, that's the least of your concerns, what it does to mom. Because as important as it is to please and honor mom today of all days, the fact is that her high opinion of you, while important, is fleeting. It pales in significance when compared to the opinion that God has of you. The biggest re reason why mom perhaps wants you here today is that she wants very desperately for you not to be rightly related to her. She wants you to be rightly related to God. Because she knows, just as you do, that God's assessment of you is a matter of life. So what does it take to remove the fool tattoo that God has emblazoned upon the fool's forehead? That's the critical question, right? And the answer is as simple as the definition. If a fool is a person who does not make God the starting point of all of his decisions in life, someone who disregards God, one who has no time for him, one who is not concerned about what God's expectations are for us, then the path to being wise is opposite of this. It's the reverse. To be a wise son, who according to our text makes his father glad and does not despise his mother, is to acknowledge God, to make time for God, to submit to God, to obey God, to make God's concern our concerns, to make God's commands our commands, our marching orders for life. Of course, there are a great many more specifics that we could get into. The Bible is a comprehensive guide to what it is to not be a fool with practically infinite specificity. I'd encourage you, if you're in that spot here today and you say, I want to follow God. I want to be rightly related to God. You know what my, my encouragement is? You can talk to me. Talk to mom. Ask her what it is to be rightly related to God. If you want to make her 
have the best Mother's Day ever? Ask her that question after the service today. She'll give you some specific answers about God, His expectations, the reasons for the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ and how you are to be respond in submission to it, how you can prepare for the next life. So ask her. But if mom's not here today, then feel free to ask any one of us in this church. Ask me. Ask any of the, any of the uh, leadership here at the church. But I'll tell you this. This will make her far happier than getting her to Applebee's before the crowd. Guarantee that. So as soon as, as soon as you're about to go your separate ways, intent as you ought to be on honoring mom today, consider afresh what the Bible privileges as the best way of honoring her. Treat her as God's representative on earth, because she is. Value her and her words as a veritable repository of wisdom, because it is. Cultivate the disciplines of wise living, and above all, don't be a fool. Instead, acknowledge God. Submit to Him. Install God as the starting point of all that you think and say and do. And Mom will be honored on this day. And so will God. May the Lord help us to that end. Lord, we are grateful this morning for this day. It is a special day. It's filled with nostalgia. But Lord, it's also a day where we can reflect not only on our relationship within our human family, but also our relationship to our Creator, to our Savior, and to our Judge. And Lord, I ask that as we go our separate ways, that we would, in fact, lavish upon Mom what she deserves on this day. But even before that, Lord, I ask that you would cause us to reflect on what your expectations are to please mom because they are largely the same as the expectations he has of pleasing him. Lord, we ask that we would, above all, please you today by submitting to you to the expectations of the Christian gospel. Lord, I ask that this might be a day in which we are prompted to think of how we are properly related to God, even as we attempt uh, to improve our relationship with our mothers. In your name we pray.